welcome to Monologues by Hassie, where I'm going to be dropping unsolicited brain dumps from the depths of my grey matter. I'll talk about life, money, society, and self-development, plus whatever else lies up there, whilst hopefully not getting cancelled in the process. In my previous episode, I spoke about mortgage debt being society's Trojan horse, and how taking on too much debt can trap us into a certain lifestyle, which might not benefit us, but locks us into what society has planned for us. And the topic of debt is very interesting, especially in these times. So in 2022, it looks like for the first time in Australia, that rates are going to rise in a long time. And this is going to have a big impact on many people. And rates have already started to rise in other parts of the world. And it really does show a shift in our economic cycle. So today's topic, I actually want to talk about is liquidity and cash flow luxury? And how important is cash flow and liquidity to our feelings of financial security? Now, when I talk about cash flow and liquidity, cash flow is fairly self-evident. It's how much cash do we have coming in? But then liquidity, I will define for the benefit of anyone who hasn't heard that term before. So liquidity is the ease that we can convert an asset into cash. So imagine if I had three assets, three financial assets that is, in, in my portfolio. And I'm going to put a, like a big quotation mark on financial, because it depends on how you view this. If I have three assets being cash, shares, and the Mona Lisa, and I, I don't actually have the Mona Lisa, but this is just for example's sake, if I look at the liquidity of these three assets, I can convert them all into money. That's, that's possible. The Mona Lisa is a very desirable painting. I'm sure if I auctioned it, I could fetch a great price on it. But if I wanted to buy milk right now, the easiest way for me to buy milk would be to use my physical cash. So it's already converted into a form that I can exchange it very easily for other goods and services in our economy. Now my shares are a little bit harder. I'd need to sell them when markets open tomorrow morning, and I'd probably need to wait two to three days for the settlement and for the cash to be deposited in my account, after which it's on my debit card, I can then go buy my, buy my milk in three days. Now the Mona Lisa presents a different challenge, because despite its value, if I want to go buy milk, well I'm probably going to have to get in contact with an auction house like Christie's, they're going to have to have some of their art appraisers or valuers or whatever you call them, they're going to have to make sure that it is the real deal. And then we're going to set an auction date and it's going to be auctioned off and it's going to settle. It's an arduous process. I don't actually know how long it takes to sell a painting at Christie's, but it could take weeks, potentially months for the whole process. So I'd be waiting a long time to buy my milk if I only had the Mona Lisa. So that's what I mean by liquidity. Now to get into this episode, I actually want to run a thought experiment. And for this particular thought experiment, we're going to imagine we've got two brothers and they're both actually millionaires and they both became millionaires because they were very fortunate. And again, this is a thought experiment, completely hypothetical, but they both inherited $1 million and each brother decided to do very different things with their million dollars. So our first brother, Joe, he's a rather bougie fellow and he decided he wanted a $2 million house. Now, I live in Sydney, again, a very expensive part of the world. Somebody might scoff at me if they, they think a $2 million house is bougie, but nevertheless, a $2 million house. And Joe took his $1 million inheritance 
and used that as a deposit, and he took out a $1 million mortgage. So that's our first brother, Joe. Fancy house. Now we've got Paul. Paul is a much simpler fellow. And Paul decided that he also wanted somewhere to live, but he thought that, you know, an apartment would be plenty for him. So he bought a $600,000 apartment. He put $200,000 down as a deposit and took out a $400,000 mortgage. With the $800,000 remaining, Paul puts this into a diversified ETF, which tracks a couple of the large indices around the world. So my question is, what does life look like for Joe and Paul? Now, the way I like to t treat personal finances is like a business. So when I talk about my own personal finances, the way I typically describe it is almost using the same vocabulary that a business owner would use to speak about their business. Because I think once we start viewing our finances in a different light, well, we can make slightly different decisions or it gives us a different perspective on what we might wanna do. Not that there's any right or wrong ways and different people will make different decisions and there's nothing wrong with that. But I like to use these terms because personally it helps me try to be as business-minded as possible when I set up my personal finances. So the first term you're gonna hear me talk about is operating expenditure or operating expenses, also known as OPEX. Now these represent the costs incurred by a business to continue running its day-to-day -day operations. Now translating that to personal finance, if we rent, then our rent is due every month. There's no escaping our rent. It doesn't matter if I didn't work this month, my rent's still gonna be due. So my rent forms part of my operating expenditure because it's never gonna go away. It's something that simply I need to pay regardless of how much money I make. Now, the next term I'm gonna use is revenue. And very simply, this is all the money we have coming in. And the final one is profit. After we considered what came in and how much did it cost, how much money were we actually left with? Now. For the scenarios I'm gonna run you through, I'm gonna give you a quick caveat, and that's A, I'm doing a lot of rounding of numbers when I do, again, provide them to you, purely because I'm speaking to you in an audio format. We're not, I'm, I'm not sitting with you looking at an Excel spreadsheet where we can be super precise. Uh, and, and as much as it personally kills me to not use uh, numbers to two decimal places when talking about money, I'm gonna be rounding to the nearest $500, ballpark and I'm only gonna consider taxes on active income. Before we get into these scenarios, if you're interested in calculating both how much money you take after taxes and you live in Australia, a great website to use is paycalculator.com.au. And if you're thinking of taking out a mortgage, and this one's a bit more generic, it's not just for the Australian market, it is mortgage.monster. And I believe they're made by the same team. And these two websites are absolutely incredible. In fact, I'll put the links in the show notes. Back to our brothers. Our first brother, Joe, he bought a $2 million house and has a $1 million mortgage on it. So his net worth is $1 million. But if we look at his OPEX, well, he's got to pay that mortgage. I modeled his mortgage at a 5% interest rate, which again, it's very high currently, but over the next two years, in Australia at least, we could, retail interest rates could very much hit 5%. It's very possible. In fact, I think just last week, NAB's two-year fixed rate went up to 3.99%. And the only reason I know this is I was planning on using them um, to get my mortgage and I'm probably gonna amend that now. But that's a, that's a diversion. Um, back to the topic. So we've got Joe, $2 million, $2 million house, $1 million mortgage, and his repayments at 5% are gonna be $5,500 per month. So this is his OPEX. 
So before anything, before any money comes in, Joe's got this liability, this $1 million mortgage where he needs to be paying $5,500 per month. So if we look at his profit at this point, it's negative $5,500 per month. So he's losing money every month. Again, we're looking at this as a business. So now let's jump over to Paul. So if we look at Paul now, Paul bought his $600,000 apartment. But he also bought $800,000 in ETFs. And the way I'm modeling this is his ETF, excluding any investment return, any, sorry, any capital gains, we're looking at the distribution. So distributions of a very similar dividend. It's just the money that the ETF pays out. The distributions from these ETFs, we're gonna model it 2.5%. So I'm being relatively conservative and the ETF return, so on $800,000, 2.5% per annum, it's roughly $1,500 per month. So that $1,500 per month represents Paul's revenue. Now, if we look at Paul's OPEX, he's got a $400,000 mortgage. Paul's mortgage repayment is $2,500 per month. So if we look at Paul's net profit, well, we've got $1,500 in revenue per month, and we're taking away $2,500 due to his mortgage payment. So when we look at Paul, Paul's net profit is negative $1,000. So Paul is also losing money every month. Now, going back to Birth Brothers, obviously Joe would not have been given a $1 million mortgage without having the income to back it up. So based off what Joe needs to repay, and since we're, as much as possible, I wanna compare apples to apples, I'm giving Joe and Paul the same income. The income we're gonna give both brothers is $140,000. Again, this is in Australia. And after tax, both brothers are taking home roughly $8,000 per month. And just to be clear, this is excluding superannuation. We're not considering student loans. There's no hex on this. They're just taking $8,000 per month after taxes. So if we look at their monthly profit, if we look at Joe, now we said, before we considered active income, Joe was losing $5,500 per month. And once we add $8,000 per month from his day job, Joe's profit is $2,500 per month or $30,000 per year. If we look at Paul, Paul was losing, before we considered active income, $1,000. But once we add his job into the mix, so Paul's revenue goes up. Paul's profit is now $7,000 per month. So Paul takes home $84,000 per year. Now, both brothers are millionaires, but we've got a very stark difference in the amount of profit they're generating each month. I mean, Paul makes almost twice what Joe does. And the question is, isn't it how much money they make? I mean, there's nothing wrong with what Joe's done. Um, Joe could simply prioritize lifestyle and he might really enjoy the suburb he lives in and the amenities that his two, $2 million house has. But we're not really concerned about that. And, and there's other arguments for, I think, having your wealth in housing in countries like Australia. You know, we have no capital gains tax on your principal place of residence. So if you live in the house, but much like my last topic, I think the point I want to drill across is if we live in a house for all intents and purposes, We've taken out debt on, yes, the house we live in is an asset, but it doesn't actually produce income. It doesn't produce revenue, so it's bad for our cash flow. Now, what I want to talk about, when I started this particular episode, the question I was asking is how important is cash flow and liquidity into how financially secure we feel? We've looked at the financials for both brothers. Now, what happens if either brother gets sick? They could get sick. They might get tired of working. Who's had a tough day and said, 
I really wish I had a part-time job or I, I had a job that was just didn't have the complexity that I, I have to deal with in my present job. Like I, I'm sure a lot of people have had that thought. And the question is, out of these two brothers, Joe and Paul, whose financial machine, whose, I guess, business is going to give them more flexibility to change their lifestyle? So if I look at Paul, now Paul's the brother who, again, bought, bought the cheaper apartment and put a lot of his money into a diversified ETF. If Paul wanted to, now before we considered active income, right? Before we considered their day jobs, their nine to five day jobs, Paul was losing $1,000 a month, whereas Joe was losing $5,500 per month. So just based off this, Joe probably doesn't have a lot of flexibility to take a lower paying job because after taxes on his $140,000 income, both Joe and Paul, are left with $8,000 per month. So remember, when we live, we don't just pay our mortgage or our rent. We've got to think about food, there are other expenses, there's things you want to do with your life. There's more to life than paying a mortgage. So Joe probably doesn't have a lot of flexibility. If he does get sick, or if he wants to do something else, he's very much locked in. So it's quite, if, if Joe were to get sick and be unable to earn his active income, could become quite stressful. Now, if we look at Paul, the one thing I like about Paul's setup is that if Paul wanted to, he could drop his income down to $42,000 per year. And after tax, that income, that 42,000, is gonna be about $3,000. If he's losing $1,000 before we consider income and he adds $3,000 after taxes, he's still gonna be left with $24,000 per year. So per month, even by taking a $42,000 job, Paul's net profit is gonna be $3,000 minus $1,000. So he's gonna have $2,000 per month to do whatever he wants, to pay for his food, to you know go to the movies, it doesn't matter. And that's that's a pretty significant figure because if we look at both, both of these brothers in that original scenario, they're both making $140,000. And for Joe, again, the brother with the $2 million house and the $1 million mortgage, there's not a lot of flexibility for him to get out of that job. Whereas, you know, Joe's only alternative is to get either work which pays a similar amount or a, a job that pays more. So again, he's a, a sim similar to what I talked about in my last topic, he's very much locked into his income. Whereas Paul could not only halve, you know, his pre-tax income, he could literally make less than a third of what he's currently making and still be very comfortable. So that, that's what, in terms of cash flow. And then if we, if we talk about liquidity, shares are probably, and ETFs are probably more liquid than you know, your, the house that you live in. So Paul also has benefits in terms of liquidity. If he really needed to, he doesn't need to sell his whole house. He could sell a portion of shares, portion of his ETFs. So look, to end, end this particular talk, and I, I do realize I've been rambling on for a bit, I don't think any, any is right or wrong. Um, and I see nothing wrong with, uh, again, taking out that big mortgage, because again, life isn't just about being Scrooge McScrooge and saving as much money as you can. Um, absolutely not about that. But there is a certain luxury that's provided when you do have cash flow and liquidity. So to conclude our thought experiment, we've got two brothers. They're both millionaires on paper. They both make $140,000 per year before taxes but they have two very different asset allocations. You've got Joe, who's got a million dollars of equity in his house, which was $2 million, and he's got a $1 million mortgage. And you've got Paul, who's got $800,000 in ETFs, and $200,000 worth of equity in his house, 
which cost $600,000, so he's got a $400,000 mortgage. So you've got two brothers. They've got the same net worth on paper, but they have very different lifestyles, which are afforded based on how liquid their assets are and how much cash flow they have coming in. So my question to you is, if you were going to pick between one of these extremes, and I do realize the thought experiment that we've gone through well and truly is an extreme. Not everyone gets a million dollars to do what they want with. Who would you choose to be? Would you choose to be Joe, who's more house rich, or Paul, who doesn't have as fancy of a lifestyle, but has much more flexibility? And when you have given this a few thoughts, and if you do want to contact me and maybe tell me I'm all wrong and that I haven't factored in, you know, all of the tax advantages of having your, your, your net worth kind of locked up in, your, in the house you live in, uh, you can absolutely do that. And feel free to send that to me at hassie at monologues at hassie.com. You've just made it through another episode of Monologues by Hassie. It brings me great pleasure to know that you made it to the end. To listen to more episodes, subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit monologuesbyhassie.com. Thanks for swinging by.